Welcome to the Beyond Clinical Medicine program, what they don't teach you in residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is the first in our series addressing the ubiquitous and devastating epidemic of opiates. Drug abuse inflicts immeasurable harm on public health around the world every year. It's been likened to the plague since there are so many associated deaths. It affects all groups. Just this last weekend, there were 23 EMS calls for ODs in my town, Cincinnati, and three weeks ago, there were 18 deaths in a 10-day period. Last year, according to today's Wall Street Journal, nationally, there were about 70,000 deaths. Patients are dying, clinicians are frustrated and angry, and the solutions seem increasingly unlikely. Or are they? Can we actually have a positive impact on our communities, save lives, make a difference? Joining me today is Dr. Brant Williamson, who has definitively answered these three questions with a single word, yes. Dr. Williamson is an emergency physician practicing for the last 24 years at the Berkeley Medical Center in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Brant is what I would call a self-starter. Instead of throwing his hands up in frustration, he took his concern for the multiple deaths in his community and began networking with community-based support groups, developing a MAT, medication-assisted treatment program, utilizing buprenorphine. But as we'll learn, medication alone is not the answer. Among his many roles, Brandt is a board member of Heart Healthcare Advocates for Recovery and Treatment, Brant, thank you so much for joining this program. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be able to have uh, an opportunity to speak about what we are able to accomplish in, uh, on a topic that has so many times been just uh, having negative press. Um, it's uh, wonderful be- being able to uh, address this from the standpoint of being an emergency physician, but also as a community member and uh, what can be you know, stressing what can be done Uh, from both the professional standpoint as well as a community member. Perfect. So, Brant, the opiate problem is huge. It seems like it's constantly the subject of our discussions, both in academic assemblies and in our hospitals. You've developed a somewhat unique program that has worked in a non-traditional environment. Tell us about your motivation to develop and grow this program. Well, Rob, this became a very clear problem to us in 2016 and it was pro- it was problematic before that as well but in 2016 in particular we were seeing repeated uh, visits to the emergency room uh, from overdose of uh, heroin uh, fentanyl and of uh, prescription opiates uh, but this became such a problem that uh, we at times would see one person come in time after time and then at some point that became a fatal overdose. And uh, when you've seen that type of uh, contact with a patient followed by such a devastating end, uh, it became a a true indicator that we needed to step in and do something because what we were doing was clearly not working. So you saw the problem. What was preventing you from having the effect using the traditional methods? Well, the traditional way things had been set up was very frustrating. It was set up such that we would manage in the ER with resuscitation, but 
the step beyond the resuscitation was not being addressed adequately. Uh, and that step is getting somebody linked to treatment. We, as most emergency departments uh, had dealt with this in the past, had a more or less a sheet of paper that we would distribute to somebody after they had overdosed. They might have, in fact, they would have been offered inpatient care if they needed it. Uh, but most of the time, many times, this was not um, the way that people wanted to proceed after they had overdosed. So the typical way to manage this was to distribute this piece of paper that had all the contacts that were in the community that could help with stepping in to address the addiction problem. Uh, but many times this was not uh, very fruitful as far as uh, truly addressing the problem. Many times uh, we would see, again, these people were back in the emergency room with a second overdose before they had had any opportunity to call these numbers, or had they called them, they might have been told that there was a two to three month wait list before they could actually be seen in that outpatient setting. So the frustration was uh, very um, palpable, and uh, it was uh, something that we figured that we could address if we understood what was going on on the other side a little better. And that's what got us to the point where we actually decided to step into the community a little bit more become more aware of what was going on outside of the ER and outside of the hospital so that we could actually collaborate with the other side, with people in the community to make this uh, commonly become called a warm handoff uh, from the ER or from the inpatient setting to the community treatment center. So I get it. You had control over your system, but really none over theirs. And neither, it sounds like, effectively interacted with the other. They weren't integrated. They weren't coordinated. So specifically, what did you do? Basically, we had two systems that were functioning in parallel. There was very little crossover between the two systems. And what we needed to do to make this work more functionally uh, was to actually link between those two parallel systems. And again, that was mostly done through collaboration. So the first thing that was done to make that link more solid was that we created this Healthcare Advocates for Recovery uh, and Treatment. This is a team of, it started out as physicians, nurses, and other caregivers, but it became much more of a omnipresent, uh, everyone was involved with the care. Uh, not only the caregivers in the hospital, but also people from the community were actually coming in who were involved in recovery in the community setting. So that we were getting people who were parents of somebody who had overdosed, friends of somebody who had overdosed, people who had had a history of uh, substance abuse uh, or substance use disorder. These all, all these folks were getting involved with this group. And then through that, through that collaboration, we were able to understand what the needs were not only from our side, but also on the other side. Uh, and they were also able to know what our needs were better so that we were able to work together and make something that was more congealed into one unit that functioned quite well. Now, along with this, we wanted to make it so that we could actually make a bridge from the ER and from inpatient to the community that not only was one that involved this warm handoff that we spoke of, but also one that would make it so that the patient was more likely to be able to bear getting into that treatment in a short period of time rather than going through withdrawal and then relapsing. And that's where the medical part of this steps in, where we offer medication-assisted treatment in the form of buprenorphine, as you said, to allow for that withdrawal to not be as harsh, to allow for cutting back on the cravings, 
and to allow for uh, people to actually get into that treatment uh, without too much of a, uh, a problem with the, uh, the ill effects of withdrawal. I get that you have the medical systems, but I want you to elaborate on what you were bringing to the table and then share with us specifically what they brought to the table. So what I was um, able to contribute to this whole process was, one, I would say that given my, my, my place of employment, I, I'd say, uh, the place where I work, being the emergency room, is a unique setting. This is a setting that not only has access to specialists who work in the hospital, it has access as well to um, other facilities that um, sometimes are not even in our hospital, but outside of our hospital and sometimes in other parts of our state, we have the ability to contact them and work with them. But on top of that, in the emergency room, we have a unique setting where we have probably the most complete or the most extensive ability to connect with the community than anywhere else in the hospital. We see these people more frequently than anybody. We touch these patients more frequently than anybody. So in that setting, I, in fact, my my setting uh, acts as a bridge in itself. But on top of that, there's the ability to step in with this buprenorphine, which is a very important part of this whole bridge concept. That medication-assisted treatment that we are offering to the patient significantly increases the uh, retention of patients in treatment in the outpatient setting. You go from a maybe a 20% successful referral when you've got somebody who is going without medication-assisted treatment to a referral to an outpatient treatment center to an 80% retention after a month when somebody has medicated-assisted treatment along with that referral. So that's what our main role is here. One, as a bridge, but also a bridge with medication. That's what the physician in the ER can offer to this whole project. From the standpoint of what the community offers, basically we're trying to bring the community into the ER to try and help to, to make this a warm handoff, as I said. That warm handoff involves, in our case, bringing in a peer recovery coach. And these are folks that have been trained in the community who know what addiction is all about. They've either been there or they've been touched personally by addiction to where they can access resources for that patient much more readily than what I can uh, from the standpoint of the community. They have also known and seen the barriers that these addicted patients run up against, and they know how to get through those barriers. So that's one of the uh, one of the uh, benefits that the uh, com the community offers to this whole program. There are countless others as well, and I would include in that the fact that um, housing is such a major factor in somebody's recovery. Once somebody has gotten into treatment, the most indicative factor as to whether they're going to be successful reco with recovery is whether they actually get into stable housing. And this is obviously something that I can't arrange in the emergency room, but I have the people in the community who can make arrangements for that and offer that. So you bring all this stuff together, and it really works as a very cohesive group and very successful uh, in trying to get folks into the recovery process that we're, we're aiming for. 
So if I'm hearing you correctly, you have the capacity to, as I've heard you say, temporarily get the monkey off of their back, and then you can hand them over to these uh, recovery coaches who have been there. In fact, I assume that you're saying that some of them, your connection with them is so good that uh, that they might even come and see the patient in the emergency department, housing groups and addressing some of the social factors. Hearing that, uh, there must have been some significant challenges. What did you have to confront? Well, no doubt. Uh, the biggest challenge is uh, stigma that's involved with the, the community as well as uh, physicians. Uh, this uh, problem with addiction, with substance use disorder is so uh, deep-seated and um, uh, emotionally packed as far as how people view it. This group of people, uh, those who deal with substance use disorder, are thought to be the most marginalized people in most uh, communities, in most communities, not only in the United States, but also throughout the world. Uh, they're more marginalized than any other group of people. And, and because of that, there's been somewhat of a uh, difficulty with getting people on board with stepping in and uh, agreeing to be a part of some treatment theories that have not really been the traditional um, war on drugs type of approach. So once that stigma can be deterred, once we can get others to see a little bit more about what we're trying to achieve and understand the benefit that can come from it, we are in hopes that uh, that's going to be um, a major turning point. And we have, in fact, seen that quite significantly uh, change in the time frame that we've been doing this. When I started doing what I started doing in the emergency room back in 2016, there were people in the ER who were quite in fact, angry with me, uh, and I'm talking about uh, starting people on medicated-assisted treatment in the ER. They didn't understand it. Uh, they didn't. Uh, they, they figured it was going to cause uh, a surge of patients in the ER that was going to be unmanageable. These ideas, these thoughts, were uh, significant enough to where I actually had to shut down what I was doing briefly until the community kind of caught up. The hospital kind of caught up with what. Uh, what was going on and what benefit would come from it. Uh, but once that did come along, uh, that stigma eased up a bit and uh, we've been able to move forward. So the, the stigma is uh, definitely the biggest of the, uh, the barriers that we faced. So I, th I think you're saying that not only were members of the community very concerned, but also members of your same team were concerned about increasing the volume of patients uh, seeking the drugs that you were providing. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that is correct. Uh, they uh, had concerns about uh, a flood of patients coming into the ER. Luckily, this has actually been addressed in literature. There's literature that uh, has indicated that, um, that using buprenorphine in the ER for initiating treatment for medicated-assisted treatment is actually going to drop the uh, numbers of patients who come in to the emergency room uh, searching for this type of uh, care. Uh, the reason being that um, these folks are typically in our ERs anyway, either trying to obtain opioids illicitly or, or trying to get a script that uh, might not be um, used in the way that we thought that it would perhaps be used. So it's been proven actually in papers that um, the numbers of patients coming to the ER will actually drop uh, over time as a result of the ER stepping in and using 
buprenorphine to bridge into, into treatment so that these folks are now in treatment outpatient rather than coming to our ERs trying to get opiates. Looking at this, you had an idea, you investigated it, looked at the literature, you got trained in it, you developed a program, you had to get a group of people on board, you had to reach out to critical members of the community, and then you had to address the pushback. And it's led to what I you're describing as a very successful program. Two things. One, tell us about that success a little bit more. And two, what's been the value for you personally? The success has um, been quite uh, palpable. We have seen people come through our ED, get linked in with the assistance of uh, other personnel in the hospital now who are helping with this process, the the personnel who are helping us with this will set up an appointment at one of these outpatient places for the patient to be seen in just a few days after the time that I'm seeing them in the ER. And this works. Uh, We track these folks as we uh, see them in the ER. We then follow through on where they end up going and whether they show up. These people uh, I have seen in follow-up as well, not in the ER, but also uh, through uh, the heart uh, group that we have. At times, we have them show up at these meetings um, after they've gotten through the process of uh, entering recovery. And actually visualizing the difference between when we see them in the emergency room to when they're actually back into functional society in uh, the setting with uh, heart, quite uh, empowering. Uh, to see somebody make that kind of change, partly because of the medication, but also because they are actually addressing things that have been unaddressed as far as problems that that might involve joblessness, that might involve homelessness, that might involve uh, law enforcement issues. Uh, Those things, once they are actually um, under treatment and in recovery, they can address those problems. And it becomes uh, less of a chaotic type of existence. Uh, I can see that. I can see that actually when I see them in the outpatient setting. That is incredibly rewarding. And for me, somebody who is an emergency room doctor, um, as we all uh, experience, we don't see these folks that we care for. Uh, oftentimes, uh, unless they're in bad shape, they come back. We don't see people oftentimes when they're actually doing well after we've cared for them. This is an incredible situation where I can actually care for a patient, maybe save their life, uh, and then know two weeks, two months, whatever, after the fact that they're actually doing much better because of what impact I've had on them. This is something that uh, I think is partially a a concern for um, folks who are dealing with burnout. I think burnout is a big issue for emergency physicians. And I think part of that is because we don't get that type of opportunity to see somebody and um, where they have benefited from our care to the point where they are actually doing well in in life again. And it's nice to be able to see that. It it gives me a little bit of a a feeling of what I went into medicine for originally. It uh, makes me feel like I'm making a difference in somebody's life, more so than just actually waking them up uh, with Narcan. It's, it's actually feeling like I've allowed them to to reattach to the community. And not only that, it actually helps the community. Um, it's very, very well proven that uh, 
that when we address these types of folks in this way, that it decreases the crime rates in our areas. It also decreases the costs of peripheral type of uh, injuries such as uh, HIV, uh, hepatitis C, uh, endocarditis. All these health-related issues that are resulting from the addiction are actually quite expensive for one. Uh, and if we can actually get people into a situation where they are in treatment, uh, we are decreasing the numbers of people who are dealing with those uh, terribly expensive diseases. And those are costs that, uh, that the, the stated amount is that uh, for every dollar that we spend toward putting somebody into treatment, uh, we save about $7 in all these expenses that I brought up with uh, law enforcement, with uh, treating other, these other medic, uh, medical problems that result from the use of these uh, IV drugs. It's really, when you look at it from an economic standpoint, it's a no-brainer. But then you add in the emotional uh, benefit of, of actually being involved in that process. And it's one of these things that I, I didn't really plan that this would be part of what I do. Uh, but having stepped into that realm, it has added so much quality to my practice. It's, it's just a, a very surprising thing that um, I, I have gotten so much out of the whole process and being involved with this. I've met people that I would never have met before in my community. And, um, and again, there's just so many ways that this has positively impacted me. Not to say, uh, you know, I mean, it's one thing that has positively impacted the patients that we're treating, but it's, it's truly positively impacted myself as well. Well, Brent, this is terrific. It's, you found uh, an area in which you could be passionate and do something, not just one patient, one episode at a time, but long-term for some patients and very significant for the community. It's brilliant. In closing... I want to play 90 seconds of an audio excerpt from a video that describes one of your successes. Been working since I was 13 years old, so I've worked construction and landscape for 37 years. My body is broke up. I was prescribed painkillers and was addicted to them. And when they ran out from prescriptions, heroin was a lot cheaper. I got up in the morning usually did the dope that I had to get going, and the rest of the day was spent on getting more. I had had enough. I was volunteering at the hospital as a recovery coach, and I saw Robert in the bed, and you could just tell in his eyes he was done. She came, uh, <sighs> this stuff for me, like, what a mother should do, you know, really sincerely care. We uh, told him that we would be with him until he'd get it straight, you know, he'd get it right, if that's what he wanted. I couldn't believe that someone would do that for him. Seeing him where he is now, just such a zest for life has come back. It's, it's really night and day. The more that you engage with people in recovery, the more you know that this is curable. There's people out there that are dying, <laughs> that need help. <laughs> and that's how they can get it. Brant, this was very compelling. Congratulations and thank you.
Rob, I very much appreciate you uh, including me in your podcast. Again, I think uh, whatever exposure we can uh, provide uh, clinicians toward this type of concept is a real plus for the uh, the concept itself. And um, I hope that other people can uh, look at what we're doing and learn more about what we're doing and maybe uh, apply it to what their community might uh, need. I would be very hopeful that people would maybe reach out to me if, uh, if they decide that they'd like to and they need some help. I'm sure they can reach me through you, Rob. I, again, very much uh, thankful for, for your uh, uh, inviting me to participate in this podcast. Well, thank you. We can all learn from your experience and leadership. For those listening, I hope you found this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Dr. Brant Williamson as informative as I have. If you have any questions or would like to get in touch with Dr. Williamson about this topic, or if you'd like to make suggestions to me for other topics, please contact me at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.